Welcome to DLA Piper's Tech Law podcast series with me, Paul Hardy, Brexit Director at global business law firm DLA Piper. Welcome to today's podcast in which I and my colleague Richard Bonner, Chair of the firm's Brexit Committee, will be exploring the potential impact of Brexit on the fintech sector with the help of an eminent industry insider. Let me extend a warm welcome to Eric Mouilleron, who is CEO of Bankable. For the benefit of our listeners, it would be great if you could give us a brief introduction to your professional background. Thank you very much. So, uh, yes, I am, uh, in fact, an entrepreneur. So uh, I am currently the CEO and founder of uh, Bankable. So we provide banking as a service platform, which means that we can create a new uh, infrastructure, a new digital bank, in uh, six months, as opposed to the past, where it took years uh, to, to do it. So we are an API-connected uh, platform powering banks, fintechs, as well as corporates. We are in the UK because I think the regulator is one of the most advanced in the world. They are the UK is pro-business. And as well, there's a, in terms of a regulation, when you look at the site of the FCA, that's the only one in the world. I speak four languages, not 200, but uh, when you go to the French regulator, to the German regulator, or the Spanish regulator, after two paragraphs, it's unlikely that you see that the regulator is here to promote and foster innovation and competition. So this is the reason I'm here. I like the history of the UK in terms of uh, conquer new markets, uh, pro-business, uh, and savviness. So that's, uh, that's why uh, we are here. So Bankable is my second uh, uh, company, and I think it will be uh, bigger than the previous one that went uh, on the market for above a billion uh, pounds at the time. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, Eric. And Richard, could I ask you to introduce yourself, please? Yes, so my name is Richard Bonner. I'm a partner at DLA Piper. I've been a partner at DLA Piper 20 years. I've practiced in France and Germany. I consider myself a European first and a Brit second. But here we are, we're faced with Brexit. And as always, we have to approach Brexit with pragmatism. I chair our Brexit committee. And in that role, my responsibility is to make sure that our clients understand Brexit and that we as a law firm are in a position to advise them on the consequences of Brexit. We also look at what Brexit means for DLA Piper as a law firm. We are a global business too. We very much rely on freedom of movement of goods and services within the European Union. And so we ourselves need to adjust our business uh, for life post-Brexit. So getting straight into the subject of the potential impact of Brexit on the fintech sector, Eric, can I ask you first, what do you think the kind of most immediate impact will be? I'd like to rebound on uh, what, uh, you know, Giles, what you just said now, actually, because it's, uh, pragmatism is one reason I'm here. So I like the Anglo-Saxon pragmatism. I don't come from a country where pragmatism is at, uh, at the heart of the economy. And I feel disappointed, actually, because this does not make sense to, have a, to shrink where I think, uh, you know, the, the history of the UK is to be open. So it's extremely uh, bizarre and pragmatism is another reason why we're here. So if there's less pragmatism and if we shrink, our business is going to shrink because we'll have difficulties to, to recruit. Almost uh, 42% of the, the employees in my industries are either uh, EU, uh, are in fact, uh, yeah, EU nationals or, or non-EU nationals. So they are, it's, about, it's, uh, it's still about 58% UK nationals. But there's a big 42, and it's all the people doing the technology, the, the developers. So I think for us, there's a, a risk to have uh, all this talent uh, either leaving because the pound is likely to go down 
or uh, not welcome anymore. But uh, I'm not a quitter. So when I was interviewed six months ago, I said, no, I stay. No, I stay. I will stay in the UK as long as there are headquarters and as long as the country remains savvy and, and, and pragmatic. But uh, I think uh, now uh, I've changed my mind. I've got risk for my business. The society is, is completely fractured and I've, there's no winner here. I mean, the remain and, and leave, it's just a, a fraction. That's not the only country where there are fractions, but uh, in the history of the UK, there was the capacity to work together. For me, it's, it's, uh, it's not good for business. And what is the sentiment in your workforce? Eric, when you talk to your non-EU staff or even your UK staff? The most pissed off employee I have are, are UK nationals. And they're not uh, in their 20s, they're in their 40s, in their 50s. They're very disappointed for, for their family. Uh, they, of course, work in an international company. It's not a, a pure uh, English company, but uh, we are a UK company. That's, that's clear. Uh, we are, uh, and we employ a diverse uh, workforce. So the most uh, vocal about the Brexit are UK nationals in my company every day. So just drilling down a second into the kind of impact of Brexit or possible types of Brexit on the fintech sector, do you rely on talent that you can't find in the UK labour market? Do you need to, to have talent that you recruit from outside the EU and is that typical of, of a fintech business? Well, I'm a business person, so I'm not after difficulty. The sweat factor, as you say, in this country is important. So I think I'm not here to suffer. If I could find, uh, you know, in Canary Wharf, all the resources I have, I will do that. Unfortunately, we work uh, with a talented mathematicians. We work with statisticians. We work with, uh, with people that are global by definition, and they will go wherever the best project is. So you attract people, uh, from this kind of talent, not with money, not only with money for sure, but with a project and a challenge. So, uh, you know, so if, we, if the UK is able to attract and uh, in fact uh, gather all these kind of projects, the fact that we can't fuel them with the appropriate resources is a big issue. And th those people are everywhere. You know, we, we even have Americans uh, coming to the UK, Americans from all over. We have currently about uh, 12 nationalities. Uh, I had 47 in my previous company. And the reason is, is very simple. If you, we work on, a, on Greenfield, on, on the whiteboard, there's nothing. So we work with clients who don't know really what they want to do. It's all new. So we, we collaborate with them to build something new. My view, if it's a, a room of 12 people on the whiteboard, if it's 100% French, I don't think that's going to serve my goal. Same if it's 100% English or Italian. We need a little bit of German, a little bit of Dutch, English. Uh, Japanese if possible. So we need a, a diversity yeah. because it's good for business. It's, it's not because I'm uh, United Colors of Benetton. It's because it's good for business. Yeah. Because I need this brain power, I need this diverse viewpoint to be relevant to my clients. Yeah, that's something we hear from a lot of clients, isn't it? It's one of the, the great worries is the impact of Brexit on talent recruitment and talent management. What do you think the negotiators have done about it? Do you think the, the current withdrawal treaty meets that concern? Well, I think just parking for a moment uh, the issue of whether that withdrawal treaty actually gets enacted in the UK, let's assume it does. Um, yes, I think the current withdrawal agreement provides continuity and certainty for a period of time. But at the end of the implementation of transition period, free movement will disappear, that much is clear. And the government's current position on immigration is as yet unknown. Yeah. So the immigration white paper which has been promised, will not now appear until after the 11th of December or later. And so 
I think for employers such as Eric and for people who are living and staying in the UK, there's a significant uncertainty in, in the kind of medium term future, assuming that indeed this, this deal is ratified. Yeah, I mean, one thing that, that some businesses do is they explain this EU settlement scheme, this scheme that the UK government is putting in place to ensure that EU nationals who are already here uh, know that they have a right to stay on exactly the same terms. Some bus businesses who really are concerned that they're going to lose a lot of talent actually begin to explain what the government's doing to, to reassure staff. But for some staff, as you say, it can be a question of the exchange rate as well, or even just a question of the of the atmosphere, of, of a feeling that actually the UK is no longer open, mm. uh, an open country for all nationals, and that can have a, you know, a, a very bad consequence. I think it's an interesting point you make, Paul. Uh, there, there are some significant practicalities even about kind of taking part in the UK settlement scheme. And certainly if I were an employer, I'd be thinking hard about providing practical assistance to, to staff who don't have time, maybe don't understand the system, uh, maybe getting them some external assistance to see if to ease the process and take away some of the worries, both for them and for their families. You know, the, the, the world is already uh, uncertain enough, so adding uncertainty to, uh, to, to my team, I think it's, uh, to all the employees, is, is not good news, you know? So there's already an hemorrhagia of, uh, of talent, or at least of, of resources. We, I've seen that already in the, in the hotel business. The pound goes down, oh, no more poles, no more, they're gone. So yeah. then you, the business is disrupted. You have to recruit uh, in urgency. So that started with the lowest qualified job, but that's going to impact now the, the, the highest uh, you know, uh, talent, the, the most uh, they're going to feel uncertain, and uh, they may even not feel welcome. Anyway, we don't know. Uncertainty is not good for business. So beyond the, the impact on, on immigration and on EU citizens, let's, let's now look at what Brexit could mean to the regulation of the fintech sector in, in the UK, and also access to, to capital flows, because both of those are, are critical issues for the industry. Eric, what are your views on that? So in, in terms of capital, we are funded by private individuals, so there's currently no impact, but we're in discussion with uh, US institutional investors. They used to see the UK as the door to uh, Europe. Now they, everything has been delayed since, since the summer. So um, I think... Uh, Clearly, this uh, door to the, the Europe will disappear. It will be the door to the UK. But I think there's things I've seen in the, in the in some research that I was, was sharing in the paper recently uh, showing that uh, uh, we may uh, have an 8% contraction of the GDP in the UK. So I'm not sure everyone realizes what that means, but uh, I can give you a, a few examples yeah, in terms of a GBP contraction. South Sudan was 6.3%. Syria, 12.4%. So we'll be between Syria and South Sudan here. Those are stark figures. Well, I think there are a couple of interesting points off that. I suppose, first of all, looking at it from a business perspective, nobody or very few people are going to invest in South Sudan or Syria, given the uncertainty in the UK. And that is a possible, uh, though maybe not likely, outcome. It does mean that businesses are certainly, at the minute, very slow to invest in the UK because they're worried about that kind of potential catastrophe scenario. Addressing the point you've made as well, I think one of the issues we have is so-called project fear, Eric. So in, you know, in the run-up to the referendum, a lot of argumentation was made about the, the negative economic impact of Brexit. And, and that hasn't transpired, or at least done not in the way it was predicted. And the result is that the, I think that the perfectly valid analysis and points of view that are being put forward at the moment are once again 
being rejected and denigrated because they're, they're, they're sort of considered false expertise. I don't think that's true, but I think that's an issue that faces the British public, savvy though they are. Project fear, it's not about project fear, it's about rigorous uh, research. Of course. You don't yeah. throw something like that. Uh, people are not playing darts. I think we need to respect uh, uh, the mathematician and statistician who are producing this data. I think uh, it's uh, very easy to ignore uh, you know what the others are doing, but I, I think we should look more in depth to where that where that numbers come from. I can give you one other example, which which really uh, makes me uh, sad. Uh, currently, uh, you know the the, the mini uh, the, the the car is made yeah. in the in the UK, and I've and I've discovered a few weeks ago with a total surprise that uh, some people at the government in the UK did not know that when you export a car, you had to to do back and forth five times. So to make a mini in the UK. You, you have back and forth with uh, Poland, with Slovenia, where maybe Belgium, with lots of countries doing uh, pieces. So you, you have five back and forth, and at the factory, it's real time. It's been real time since, since the 70s. So if you break, if you kill the real time thing, there's no more factory. That will go to Germany. Yeah. We will not be able to produce cars in the UK. Yeah. It's true as well for even flowers. All your flowers will be too old to be sold from Amsterdam, you know, yeah. so you have to get your own agreements for flowers directly to Kenya, to, uh, to all these countries. From, from what you hear, Eric, in, in the market, is the fintech suffering from less availability of capital flows to fund, to fund fintech startups? Is that, a, is that an issue that's beginning to bubble up? I don't think it's the case now. UK is still sexy. Yeah, UK is still the, the place to be for. That's for, good to know, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, but there, there's a, a risk because the investors, their, their view is that they, they were buying, uh, you know, an open market from the UK. That, that's so. This paradigm uh, has changed. Uh, so uh, I think there's not much impact currently in 2018. Okay. Uh, I, I think it's still the, the destination of choice for investors and for, for fintech. But, you know, when you're dominant, it's, it's good to remain dominant. Uh, otherwise, you fragment and you become uh, a follower and you may lose headquarters as well uh, to, yeah. uh, to other regions that, uh, that can provide this access. Okay, we're going to then look at the, the, the sort of regulatory implications. But before we move to that, um, Richard, across the board, are you hearing that that actually access to, to investment funds in the UK is beginning to, to slow or to, to actually not be available because of Brexit? I don't think that's what we're seeing at the minute. I think, as Eric mm. says, the UK remains uh, sexy <laughs> and still a vibrant source of capital. But what, we, you know, what is clear is there is now uh, a lot of, there is a hunting pack of other destinations within Europe, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, Paris, which, which are seeking to rival London as a financial centre. And I think actually the real concern for the capital market should be New York. I think what will happen is Europe will divide itself and it'll probably be a, you know, a net sum loss uh, and to the advantage of, of New York. And Eric, back to you. To what extent do you think Brexit will have a, a negative or positive impact on the way the fintech sector is, is regulated? I mean, positive, I don't uh, really see because, you know, the, the part of the, the, attraction, the, the attractiveness of the regulator was the fact uh, we, uh, we had access to, uh, we could passport or license across, uh, across different regions of Europe. So what that means in immediately is we need to keep a, a UK presence for the UK and build another one somewhere else. So uh, that, that's, that's the impact. So at the minimum, it's, uh, it will be a fragmentation. I'm talking about the largest uh, fintech, not the smallest one. If you're a, 
uh, you know, a startup, you have five employees and uh, you just work in the UK, there's not much impact. Yeah. But if you are already serving global, global clients, we'll need to organize uh, to make sure we can support this client uh, the way we do today. Uh, with, uh, in fact, that will be a, there'll be a cost for us. But we will, of course, make these investments so we can keep growing our business and not be uh, negatively impacted. So we have to react. May I ask, obviously, we've got withdrawal from the European Union in March 2019 with a potentially a transition period as a result of the withdrawal treaty. In, in your business, are you planning on the basis there will be this transition up to December 20? Or are you currently assuming that actually that there's a possibility that might not happen and, and planning accordingly? No, I think for, for me it's going to, uh, to happen now. I think uh, and even if it does not, anyway, the, the, the fracture in the society is such that uh, we, we need to, uh, in fact, diversify. Currently, there's, in terms of regulation, there's not much impact for us because we, we work with different bank sponsors across the globe. Some are in, on the continent, some are here. That, that's okay, but I think it's more the, for the talent. I think we're going to clearly build a, a talent pool uh, uh, in Belgium or in, in other countries where we can have a, when we can attract a, you know, the, the, the best talent, the mathematicians, the one we want. So in Belgium, you've got Euroclear, you've got Swift. So there's already some, uh, and it's very close from the UK. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, we can take the train. Yeah. I want to remain close. I don't want to go uh, to uh, Lithuania or to Estonia. Or it's, it's, we need to remain in a premium jurisdiction. Uh, and we need to keep, I've got team here. I'm not going to uh, move away to, uh, I don't know where. We need to keep uh, things uh, tight. Uh, we need to adapt. And I think the last thing we need to do is to uh, whine and complain. Otherwise, we need to change job. I think, uh, you know, I, we are, I'm not here to whine. I need to, I've got a business to run. I will adapt. Uh, we will uh, adapt to the difficulties that uh, we are facing. It's unfortunate because I think uh, uh, every, you had uh, the, the full uh, uh, Monty here uh, uh, in terms of, uh, fin, you know, uh, capital, uh, people, uh, uh, regulator, government as well. Was fin, everything was there. So now if uh, we, we are told, you know, you need to, uh, to reduce your, your exposure, we will. But uh, uh, what I don't want is slow down my growth because of, of, a, of a political impact of, uh, of the UK. I want to adapt and I want to grow. Uh, in a very stable environment for, for my company and for my, my team. I don't want them to say, will I get my visa? I mean, it's already difficult enough. I don't want to create a, a fear with, uh, with my team. They, they need to be, uh, I'm here to uh, make sure they have an environment that uh, makes them perform. Please join us for part two of this podcast, where we will continue to look at the impact of Brexit on the fintech sector.